Story 6 of Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories from 1904. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Preston. Short Stories from 1904 by L. M. Montgomery. STORY SIX HOW DAWN WAS SAVED Will Berry went whistling down the lane of the Locksley farm, took a shortcut over a field of clover aftermath, and through a sloping orchard, where the trees were laden with apples, and emerged into the farmhouse yard where Curtis Locksley was sitting on a pile of logs, idly whittling at a stick. You look as if you had a corner in time, Kurt, said Will. I call that luck, for I want you to go chestnutting up to Greer's Hill with me. I met old Tom Greer on the road yesterday, and he told me I might go any day. Nice old man, Tom Greer. Good, said Curtis heartily as he sprang up. If I haven't exactly a corner in time, I have a day off, at least. Uncle doesn't need me today. Wait till I whistle for Don. May as well take him with us. Curtis whistled accordingly, but Don, his handsome Newfoundland dog, did not appear. After calling and whistling about the yard and barns for several minutes, Curtis turned away disappointedly. He can't be anywhere around. It is very strange. Don never used to go away from home without me, but lately he has been missing several times, and twice last week he wasn't here in the morning and didn't turn up until midday. I'd keep him shut up until I broke him off the habit of playing truant if I were you, said Will, as they turned into the lane. Don hates to be shut up howls all the time so mournfully that I can't stand it, responded Curtis. Well, said Will, hesitatingly, maybe that would be better after all than letting him stray away with other dogs who may teach him bad habits. I saw Don myself one evening last week ambling down the harbor road with that big brown dog of Sam Ventner's. Ventner's dog is beginning to have a bad reputation, you know. There have been several sheep worried lately, and... Don wouldn't touch a sheep, interrupted Curtis hotly. I dare say not, not yet, but Ventner's dog is under suspicion, and if Don runs with him, he'll learn the trick sure as preaching. The farmers are growling a good bit already, and if they hear of Don and Ventner's dog going about in company, they'll put in on them both. Better keep Don shut up a while. Let him howl as he likes. I believe I will, said Curtis soberly. I don't want Don to fall under suspicion of sheep worrying, though I'm sure he would never do it. Anyhow, I don't want him to run with Ventner's dog. I'll chain him up in the barn when I go home. I couldn't stand it if anything happened to Don. After you, he's the only chum I've got, and he's a good one. Will agreed. He was almost as fond of Don as Curtis was, but he did not feel so sure that the dog would not worry a sheep. Will knew that Don was suspected already, but he did not like to tell Curtis so. And, of course, there was as yet 
no positive proof, merely mutterings and suggestions among the bayside farmers who lost sheep and were anxious to locate their slayer. There were many other dogs in Bayside and the surrounding districts who were just as likely to be the guilty animals, and Will hoped that if Don were shut up for a time, suspicion might be averted from him, especially if the worrying still went on. He had felt a little doubtful about hinting the truth to Curtis, who was a high-spirited lad, and always resented any slur cast upon Don much more bitterly than if it were meant for himself. But he knew that Curtis would take it better from him than from other Bayside boys, one or the other of whom would be sure soon to cast something up to Curtis about his dog. Will felt decidedly relieved to find that Curtis took his advice in the spirit in which it was offered. Who have lost sheep lately? queried Curtis as they left the main road and struck into a wood path through the ranks of beeches on Tom Greer's land. Nearly everybody on the hollow farms, answered Will. Until last week, nobody on the hill farms had lost any. But Tuesday night, old Paul Stockton had six fine sheep killed in his upland pasture behind the fir woods. He is furious about it, I believe, and Bowles will find out what dog did it and have him shot. Curtis looked grave. Paul Stockton's farm was only about a quarter of a mile from the Loxley homestead, and he knew that Paul had an old family grudge against his Uncle Arnold, which included his nephew and all belonging to him. Moreover, Curtis remembered with a sinking heart that Wednesday morning had been one of the mornings upon which Don was missing. But I don't care, he thought miserably. I know Don didn't kill those sheep. Talking of old Paul, said Will, who thought it advisable to turn the conversation, reminds me that they are getting anxious at the harbor about George Finley's schooner, the Amy Reed. She was due three days ago, and there's no sign of her yet and there have been two bad gales since she left Morrow. Oscar Stockton is on board of her, you know, and his father is worried about him. There are five other men on her, all from the harbor, and their folks down there are pretty wild about the schooner. Nothing more was said about the sheep, and soon, in the pleasures of chestnutting, Curtis forgot his anxiety. Old Tom Greer had called to the boys as they passed his house to come and have dinner there when the time came. This they did, and it was late in the afternoon when Curtis, with his bag of chestnuts over his shoulder, walked into the Loxley yard. His uncle was standing before the open barn doors, talking to an elderly, grizzled man with a thin, shrewd face. Curtis's heart sank as he recognized old Paul Stockton. What could have brought him over? Curtis! called his uncle. Come here. As Curtis crossed the yard, Don came bounding down the slope from the house to meet him. He put his hand on the dog's big head, and the two of them walked slowly to the barn. Old Paul included them both in a vindicative scowl. Curtis, said his uncle gravely, here's a bad business. Mr. Stockton tells me that your dog has been worrying his sheep. It's a... Uh, began Curtis angrily. Then he checked himself and went on more calmly. That can't be so, Mr. Stockton. My dog would not harm anything. He killed or helped to kill six of the finest sheep in my flock, retorted old Paul. What proof have you of it, demanded Curtis, trying to keep his anger within bounds. 
Abner Peck saw your dog and Ventner's running together through my sheep pasture at sundown on Tuesday evening, answered old Paul. Wednesday morning I found this in the corner of the pasture where the sheep were worried. Your uncle admits that it was tied around your dog's neck on Tuesday. And old Paul held out triumphantly a faded red ribbon. Curtis recognized it at a glance. It was the ribbon his little cousin Lena had tied around Don's neck Tuesday afternoon. He remembered how they had laughed at the effect of that frivolous red collar and bow on Don's massive body. I'm sure Don isn't guilty, he cried passionately. Mr. Loxley shook his head. I'm afraid he is, Curtis. The case looks very black against him, and sheep stealing is a serious offense. The dog must be shot, said old Paul decidedly. I leave the matter in your hands, Mr. Loxley. I've got enough proof to convict the dog, and if you don't have him killed, I'll make you pay for the sheep he worried. As old Paul strode away, Curtis looked beseechingly at his uncle. Don mustn't be shot, uncle, he said desperately. I'll chain him up all the time. And have him howling night and day, as if we had a brood of banshees about this place, said Mr. Loxley sarcastically. He was a stern man with little sentiment in his nature and no understanding whatever of Curtis's affection for Don. The Bayside people said that Arnold Loxley had always been very severe with his nephew. No, no, Curtis, you must look at the matter sensibly. The dog is a nuisance and must be shot. You can't keep him shut up forever, and if he has once learned the trick of sheep worrying, he will never forget it. You can get another dog if you must have one. I'll get Charles Pippi to come and shoot Don tomorrow. No sulking now, Curtis. You are too big a boy for that. Tie the dog up for the night, and then go and put the calves in. There is a storm coming. The wind is blowing hard from the northeast now. His uncle walked away, leaving the boy white and miserable in the yard. He looked at Don, who sat on his haunches, and returned his gaze frankly and open-heartedly. He did not look like a guilty dog. Could it be possible that he had really worried those sheep? I'll never believe it of you, old fellow, Curtis said, as he led the dog into a corner of the carriage house and tied him up there. Then he flung himself down on the pile of sacks beside him and buried his face in Don's curly black fur. The boy felt sullen, rebellious, and wretched. He lay there until dark, thinking his own bitter thoughts and listening to the rapidly increasing gale. Finally he got up and flung off after the calves with Don's melancholy howls at finding himself deserted ringing in his ears. He'll be quiet enough tomorrow night, thought Curtis wretchedly, as he went upstairs to bed after housing the calves. For a long while he lay awake, but finally dropped into a heavy slumber which lasted until his aunt called him for milking. The wind was blowing more furiously than ever. Up over the fields came the roar and crash of the surges on the outside shore, the harbor to the east of Bayside was rough and stormy. They were just rising from breakfast when Will Berry burst into the kitchen. The Amy Reed is ashore on Gleason Rocks, he shouted. Struck there at daylight this morning. Come on, Kurt. Curtis sprang for his cap, his uncle following suit more deliberately. As the two boys ran through the yard, Curtis heard Don howling. I'll take him with me, he muttered. Wait a minute, Will. The harbor road was thronged with people hurrying to the outside shore, 
for the news of the Amy Reader's disaster had spread rapidly. As the boys, with the rejoicing, Don at their heels, pelted along, Sam Morrow overtook them in a cart and told them to jump in. Sam had already been down to the shore and had gone back to tell his father. As they jolted along, he screamed information at them over the shriek of the gale. Bad business, this. She's pounding on a reef out a quarter of a mile out. They're sure she's going to break up. Old tub, you know, leaky, rotten. The sea's tremendous high and the surf's going to dean over her. There can't be no boat launched for hours yet. They'll all be drowned. Old Paul's down there like a madman, offering everyone he's got to the man who'll save Oscar. But it can't be done. By this time they had reached the shore, which was black with excited people. Out on Gleason's Reef, the ill-fated little schooner was visible amid the flying spray. A grizzled old harbor fisherman, to whom Sam shouted a question, shook his head. No, nope, can't do nothing. No boat lived in that surf for a moment. The school will go to pieces mighty soon, I'm feared. It's terrible, terrible. Just stand by and watch your neighbors drown like this. Curtis and Will elbowed their way down to the water's edge. The relatives of the crew were all there in various stages of despair. But old Paul Stockton seemed like a man demented. He ran up and down the beach, crying and praying. His only son was on the Amy Reed, and he could do nothing to save him. What are they doing? asked Will of Martin Clark. Trying to get a line ashore by throwing out a small rope with a stick tied to it, answered Martin. It's young Stockton that's trying now, but it isn't any use. The cross currents on that reef are too powerful. Why, Don will bring that line ashore, exclaimed Curtis. Here, Don. Don, I say. The dog bounded back along the shore with a quick bark. Curtis grasped him by the collar and pointed to the stick which young Stockton had just hurled again into the water. Don, with another bark of comprehension, dashed into the sea. The onlookers, grasping the situation, gave a cheer and then relapsed into silence. Only the shriek of the gale and the crash of the waves could be heard as they watched the magnificent dog swimming out through the breakers his big black head now rising on the crest of a wave and now disappearing in the hollow behind it. When Don finally reached the tossing stick, grasped it in his mouth and turned shoreward, another great shout went up from the beach. A woman behind Curtis, whose husband was on the schooner, dropped on her knees on the pebbles, sobbing and thanking God. Curtis himself felt the stinging tears start to his eyes. When Don reached the shore, he dropped the stick at Curtis's feet, and gave himself a tremendous shake. Curtis caught at the stick, while a dozen men and women threw themselves bodily on Don, hugging him and kissing his wet fur like distracted creatures. Old Paul Stockton was among them. Over his shoulder, Don's big black head looked up, his eyes asking as plainly as speech what all this fuss was about. Meanwhile, some of the men had already pulled a big hosser ashore and made it fast, in half an hour, the crew of the Amy Reed were safe on shore, chilled and dripping. Before they were hurried away to warmth and shelter, old Paul Stockton caught Curtis's hand. The tears were running freely down his hard old face. Tell your uncle he is not to lay a finger on that dog, he said. He never killed a sheep of mine. He couldn't. And if he did, I don't care. He's welcome to kill them all, if nothing but mutton serve his turn. Curtis walked home with a glad heart. Mr. Loxley heard old Paul's message with a smile. 
He, too, had been touched by Don's splendid feet. Well, Curtis, I'm very glad that it has turned out old Paul in his favor, but we must shut Don up for a week or so, no matter how hard he takes it. You can see that for yourself. After all, he might have worried the sheep. And anyway, he must be broken of his intimacy with Ventner's dog. Curtis acknowledged the justice of this, and poor Don was tied up again. His captivity was not long. However, for Ventner's dog was soon shot. When Don was released, Curtis had an anxious time for a week or two, but no more sheep were worried, and Don's innocence was triumphantly established. As for old Paul Stockton, it seemed as if he could not do enough for Curtis and Don. His ancient grudge against the Loxleys was completely forgotten, and from that date he was a firm friend of Curtis. In regard to Don, old Paul would say, Why, there never was such a dog before, sir, never. He just talks with his eyes, that dog does. And if you just a seen him swimming out to that schooner, Bones? Yes, sir. Every time that dog comes here, he's got to get the best bones we've got for him, and more in bones, too. That dog's a hero, sir. That's what he is. End of How Don Was Saved Recording by Jill Preston